0: You can be seated. I know we, get, we got through it. All right. Um, before I shared those verses up there, I will send those out in an email for you with one exception. Uh, don't don't put them on Facebook. And the re- you put pull individual ones, but don't put the list on Facebook. And the reason is um, I, I got that from another place. I would rather send you the link. And then if you want to link it on Facebook, you can link to that article. Where he lists all that, so and maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll put that one on the church. When you send it out in a link, it gets a little complicated because some of your uh, spam uh, filters block it. Uh, When it so I'm trying to not put links on when I send out an email because a lot of that gets blocked. So we are in uh, the story of Moses, and believe it or not, we're gonna. I've got it timed now so that, Lord willing. In 2020, we will be done with Moses, Uh, and then we're going to move to the New Testament. But uh, so I've got to kind of skip some things, but uh, picking and choosing a little bit what we cover as we get closer to the end. So last week, we were talking about the children of Israel not being able to go in the promised land because of the story of the 12 spies, and we, uh, uh, we ended in Numbers chapter 14. And so we're going to jump ahead, actually, about four or five chapters. So let me, let me take it to Numbers 14, where we ended. And here's what it says. Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So this is where it lived. And, and like I ended last week and I talked about it, uh, what happened is uh, as the children of Israel uh, go, go forward still without God, God stays at the camp and they get defeated and they come back. And so what's going to happen now is you're going to come to uh, the next five chapters in Numbers. So let me give you a quick summary of what happened so you know what happened. In chapter 15, he's going to describe a whole bunch of offerings. When we get to uh, chapter 16, we have a fascinating story about the rebellion of a guy by the name of Korah. And basically, here's what happens. Korah said, Moses, who are you to lead us? And And he said, well, I'm the person God wants to lead us. And they said, Moses, we think we should lead. And so God basically says, well, let's just divide them up. If you're on Moses' side, stand over there. If you're on Korah's side, stand over here. And In the story of Korah and his rebellion, 250 people stand with Korah. And so you've got the group that supports Moses and the group that supports Korah. And God opens up the earth. All 250 people in Korah go down into the ground. It closes. And basically God says, next, next. And it made it very, very clear. God was his man, and if you're going to challenge him, you're challenging God's man, and, and, and it doesn't end well. So there's a great lesson there in how we respond to God-given authority over it. Uh, Then you come to chapter uh, uh, 17 and 18. 17 and 18 is a story of Aaron, and God wants to make clear who's in charge of what types of groups. So in, in uh, chapter 16 and 17, what happens is, or 1718, I'm, I'm going to get it. 1718. Um, what happens is uh, God says, okay, line up one leader of each tribe. Uh, Aaron's rod is the one that buds. And he says, those are the Levites. They're in charge of the religious stuff for Israel. And they actually take Aaron's budded rod and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Then you get to chapter uh, 19, and you have the story of the red heifer. We don't have time to do this. It plays a big role in prophecy at the end times. Uh, and uh, in, 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 the, in the story of Jerusalem, kind of a fascinating thing, but it's the ashes of the red heifer i have often, often said in a farm community, if you could figure out the genetics to match the Jewish red heifer concept um, in numbers, uh, you would be a multimillionaire. Uh, because the Jews are working to try to get this, because that is one of the elements to having the temple back in Jerusalem. And so, you, you know, you go, I'm going to, there are already people at work at it, okay? And they're far smarter and have a whole lot more money than any of us. So, uh, But uh, it's fascinating when you, you study that. Then we come to Numbers chapter 20. Now, here's the thing about Numbers chapter 20. We see... Uh, We see the death of Miriam in the beginning of the chapter, which is Moses' sister. At the end of the chapter, we see the death of Aaron. And in the middle, we see Moses uh, striking the rock instead of speaking to us. Now, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that from Numbers chapter 14 to Numbers chapter 20 is about 38 years. Now, it has taken us 50 chapters to get to Sinai. And that's only a period of about a year, a little over that. So we've spent 50 chapters getting to Sinai. We cover the next 38 years in about five chapters. Why? Because you see, one of the things that you see in, chapter, in, in, in that whole section there is, Israel just keeps going around in circles. There's just not much that gets accomplished. God still provides them water. God still provides them manna. God still takes care of their shoes. But you know what? There's just not a lot that happens. Why? Because basically it was a time of no productivity. They just kept wandering around in a circle. And then you come to this story in Numbers chapter 20 that, that, that is difficult for us in our God should be fair society to understand. So here we go. Now there was no water for the community the people were gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They still hadn't figured this out. Even after Korah, they're still fighting. Even after Korah and Aaron and the budding rod, they're still fighting Moses and Aaron. And they quarreled with Moses and they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community to this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? This is fascinating to me. It has no grain, or figs, or grapevines, or pomegranates. Oh yeah, you saw those 38 years ago when the spies came back, but you thought it was too hard to go get. Now you're wanting it again. Notice what he says. And there's no water to drink. You think they've learned this by now? But no, they don't. Um, oh, hey, did that lock up on me, Dave? Try going to my next. Try clicking the next slide. Oh, okay, I, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna try mine. If it doesn't, I'll have you guys click it. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak the, speak to the rock, important, before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. They will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. That's not what God said, but that's what Moses said. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. It goes on. But the Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, and I, I put this in parentheses, which means quarreling, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Uh, did I get that last? Okay. And, and he was proved holy among them. Now, This just sounds harsh, doesn't it? Here's a guy who didn't volunteer for this job in the first place. God put him in this position as a leader. He has stood between God and the people over and over and over and over again. God gives him a small task. Moses, get the people together, speak to the rock, I'll take care of them, they'll have water. Moses goes in front of the people, chews them out, then turns around and strikes the rock. Because if you'll remember, the last time this happened, he had to strike the rock. So he doesn't pay attention to what God has told him to do. He strikes the rock and water comes out. And I think one of the issues here, too, is also the idea that he says, he uses that word we. Taking credit for something God was going to do. And then God basically calls him in and says, okay, Moses, because you've done this, you're not going in. All this work, all this time, all this investment, you're not going in. And when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, it's interesting because just before the children of Israel go into the promised land, Moses actually makes an argument to God to let him go in. And God actually says, stop, we're not talking about this anymore. What's done is done. Um, And when we get to that story, we'll talk about how God does honor Moses and his commitment. But at this point in the story, this seems pretty harsh. Um, And and, and you struggle with it. I mean, there's a lot of Bible scholars that really, really, really struggle with it. So as you put the whole thing together, you know, you you, you get the story played out. In, in the way that, that Moses here, it, it just seems like, wow, God, is not that, that's just too, I mean, all he did, all he did was hit it instead of talking to it. Is it really that big a deal? And therein is our lessons. Uh, so let's talk about a, a couple of things. Um, one of the things that you see is you see basically disobedience on Moses' part. God said, do it this way. Moses did it that way. And God says, that's not acceptable. I said, speak, you hit it. There's a consequence for not listening to me. There's a consequence, Moses, for your disobedience. I think there's an element of pride in here as well, in that Moses said, you know, we're the ones who did this. You know, we have to keep bailing you out. And, and it's like, no, 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 Moses, don't take credit for something God's doing. Let all the glory go to God, not you. Uh, one of the things that I think you see in this story is there, there, are, there are two stories that are talked about in the New Testament uh, that, that are significant. We're looking at one of them this week, and we're going to look at the, look at the other one next week in the brazen serpent. But in this story... Um, I don't want to lose you on this. So, so try to follow me as I go through this. You need to understand that God sees the big picture. So I believe that God is involved in every aspect of stuff. So much so that I believe that when God did this with Moses, in his foreknowledge and in his wisdom, he knew that thousands of years later, When he's writing to the Corinthian people and inspiring Paul to write, he is going to use that story. So that story needs to play out a certain way. Everybody, you following me so far? Okay. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. When Paul writes about this story, here's what it says. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they were all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and the sea. In other words, the idea of baptism, baptism is the idea of, of, of immersed or, or overwhelmed by it. And he says, Israel went through all of this stuff, all of this stuff for God. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That's the story. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things like they did. God knew that when Paul was going to write to the Corinthian people, all the way back here, God knew that when he was going to write to the Corinthian people all the way down the line, he wants this typology. That he wants this idea that, that the rock is what led Israel. That Jesus Christ is the rock that, that Israel was to follow. That's the typology. And the whole idea is that how does Israel, how does God provide? God provides when Israel says, this is what we want, this is what we need, and the spiritual rock, Jesus, provides that for. So the whole idea between Moses was: Moses, look, I need you to talk to the rock. Because later, all the way down the line, you don't know this, Moses, but all the way down the line, I'm going to explain, I'm going to use this as an illustration for people so that they understand that Jesus Christ will provide their needs. All they have to do is come and and ask. All you have to do is speak to the rock and the rock will give forth. That's all you have to do, Moses. I'm going to use this as a typology. This is what I want to do. And what does Moses do? He hits the rock. He ruins the picture. He, because he doesn't obey God, because he doesn't honor God, because he doesn't do it that way, now the picture that God had established, it was thousands of years later, is now marred. Because we have a God who, what happens in the present, has an impact on the future, and he's got the future planned, and he's knowledgeable of the future, so he knows what needs to happen here in order for that to happen down there. Tuesday did not take our God by surprise. Didn't. The fact that this is a mess right now, God's not in heaven going, oh boy, didn't see that coming. No. Why? Because we have a God who is that involved with this creation. That's something here that impacts something all the way down there. And that's why this is a big deal. That's why this is a big deal, because Moses ruined it. Because Moses wasn't obedient, because Moses didn't do what God wanted him to do, because God had a bigger plan here. And so there's a consequence, Moses, for for reacting the way that you acted. There's also this idea, um, when you look at it, is that so he's not able to go into the land. The thing that he has wanted, the things that he's worked so hard for. And like I say, it seems harsh, but let me tell you something. There are some great principles for us as we go forward. So I'm going to pull out two. Here they are. Here's the first one. No one is exempt from being obedient to God. No one. Not even Moses. And when you look at the New Testament, Moses is considered one of the greatest greatest people in all the Old Testament. The whole book of Hebrews is written to prove Jesus' superiority over Moses, because in the Jewish world, they saw Moses as the pinnacle. Abraham, Moses, those were the top guys. David, those are the top guys. And so this whole idea of even Moses and all of his greatness and all that he does and all the incredible ways that God uses him, he is not exempt from being obedient to God. And if Moses isn't, we aren't either. We aren't either. And I think sometimes we forget that because we look at things and say, yeah, I know God says this, but it's not that big a deal. If God says it, it's a big deal. Period. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for, well, our culture does it. No, 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 no. I don't care about the culture. I don't, if God says this is the way it is, this is what we need to do, period. You know, the old day, when I grew up, there was this old saying that, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And you understand that's a lie, right? Here's the way it should read. God said it, that settles it. It really doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God said it, it's done. You know, It's nice if you believe it, but that doesn't change the equation at all. God said it, it is done. That's what you need to do. Because listen, we've got to get this across because we're in a culture right now that is inclusive. We're in a world, in a community which says everybody can have their opinion, everybody can be right, everybody can think the way they want to think. It's whatever you think, it's whatever you want the world to be. And Jesus Christ comes onto the scene. He walks on this planet, and he basically says this, I am the only way, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. No one gets to the Father but by me, period. I don't care what religious system you want to set up. If it's not that, it's wrong. I'm not going to give second chances for somebody who says, well, I I was really, really sincere. It doesn't matter. Sincerity doesn't matter at all, because as my wife points out to me from time to time, you are sincerely wrong. <laughs> I can be as sincere as I want, but I can still be wrong. And the reality of it is, God said, look, and when God says, look, this is the way it is, that is the way it is. And we're in a culture that likes to adapt and change and be inclusive and say, you know, well, you know, we're just all going to come together. It doesn't matter what we believe. Yes, it does. Because if what we believe is not consistent with what God says, then we're wrong. We're wrong. You go, well, you know, I just think it's... No, it's not okay. It's wrong. And we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to black, white. We've got to get back to this idea of what God says is what God says, and we don't get the option of, of catering it, so to speak, to our culture, to our lifestyle. Um, it's important. One of the things that you see in Scripture, and one of the things that you see here is, you have to do the right thing in the right time in the right way in order, for God to, be, for order to have God's blessing on your life. Kids, listen to me. I mean adults too, but teenagers, kids, young people, college, parents, listen. You have to get it all right. You have to to do the right thing in the right time in the right way in order to encourage God's blessing. What you have to be very careful of is saying, because God blessed this, God approves of this. Right? So let me say it again. Because God blessed this, God approves of this. Does water come out of the rock in this story? Yes or no? Yes. yes. So God blessed it, right? No. Because Moses doesn't get to go into the land. So God's blessing does not necessarily mean that God approved of the way they did it. Here's a great example in the New Testament. You know who? You know who the greatest failure of prophets is in the Bible? Jeremiah. Jeremiah preaches his entire ministry, and not one person responds to his message. Can you imagine as a pastor going, my claim to fame is that in 70 years of ministry, nobody listened to me. Not one life was changed because of what I did. Not one. That was Jeremiah's claim. My entire ministry, zero converts. Zero people who said, I want to follow you. You know who preached the greatest revival in all of the Old Testament? Jonah. There are more people converted under Jonah's ministry than, than any other. So Jonah has the great. An entire city of pagans believes Jonah and follows God. And when Jonah finishes preaching, here's what he does. He preaches the message eight-word Hebrew message, climbs up onto a hill and says, okay, God, now wipe them out. He didn't want to see any of them converted. They were the enemy. He wanted them all gone. And so his, so he, the book ends with Jonah sitting on a hill. And finally God says, you know what God says to Jonah? Jonah, if you don't care about all the people that would have died, think of all the animals that would have died. Jonah, do you know how many cattle would have been killed if I did what I said? These people repented. They, they changed. I, I, I'm going to give them another chance. In heaven's economy, who do you think is rewarded? Jeremiah, who is faithful with no results? Or Jonah, who is hard-hearted, rebelling against God, and who saw the greatest result? not about result. And this is why this is important. Because some of us, some of you, some of us, me too, we are making decisions and being disobedient to God, and we're not seeing God's judgment, so we assume it's God's approval. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Because we assume that everything's okay because I'm seeing God's blessing. And you have to be careful there. I watched this particularly with teenagers. Kids, listen, you know, well, I lied to mom and dad and I got away with it. So maybe it's okay. No, mm-hmm. no, nope. Nope. we're going to see the next part of it in, in, in a minute. You're going to see where that plays out. Well, I'm getting away with it and this isn't happening. So it's okay. Well, I've watched my older brother or sister get away with it. And so I think that it's okay because mom and dad weren't too hard on them. So maybe it'll be okay for me to do. No, if it's disobedience, it's disobedience. You've got to deal with it, okay? Even Moses doesn't get a a pass here. Second issue is this. The second issue I think you see in the life of Moses is God tends to hold leadership to a higher standard than he does everybody else. And when you look at this passage, here's what you see. The children of Israel were able to rebel against God ten times, and God drew a line, And on that 11th, when they went into the promised land and said, we can't do it, God said, that's it. He gave them 10 chances. And you can go through and and, and count them and see all the opportunities that God gave them. He gave Moses four. This is the fourth time Moses has repeated this cycle. Because you see, the thing that you learn about Moses is Moses had a temper problem. And the first time we see it is when he's 40 years old and he kills an Egyptian out of anger. The second time we see it is when he's before Pharaoh and he goes storming out of there, mad. The third time we see it is when he comes down from Sinai and he has two tablets in his hand and he smashes them into oblivion. This is the fourth time. And with Moses... God said, Moses, I'm going to give you three chances here. Fourth time, consequence time. One of the things that you see in this passage is the idea that if you do not, if you're not honest with yourself and if you're not honest with your own sin, at some point there's going to come payday. It might be like children of Israel where you get ten chances. It might be like Moses, where you only get three. You might get a hundred, you might get a thousand. But at some point, you pay for things that you and I don't deal with. We call it the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. So good things, reap good things. Sow bad things, reap bad things. And, and, and we tend to think that it's true. I mean, look, our, our whole community is based on this concept. you got people right now who are in the fields... Trying to get fields ready for spring because they want the best chance of planting in order to have the best crop, in order to have the best harvest. You have people now that are still in the fields getting what they have worked for for the last, what? I don't know, when you start planting? April? Yeah, how many months is that? Like six months? Five months? Four? Yeah, you got to do the math. But you know what I mean. You gotta that stuff, it didn't happen last month. It happened months ago. And they've watched it and they've sprayed it and they've some cases irrigated it and some cases run that little cultivator thing. I don't think they do it anymore, because everything's no-till now. But I mean, you know, they do all of that stuff. Why? Because you know if I plant it and and and, and you know, we don't have anything catastrophic happen, I'll reap this. Why do we think that's not true in life? That I can be an angry person and not deal with my anger and continue to not deal with my anger and continue to not deal with my anger and continue to not deal with my anger and and everything's going to work out good. Why do we think that? Kids, listen to me. I I, I can't stress this. Kids, I cannot stress this enough. You need to learn to be people of truth. Because it, you will pay a price. And here's the thing, you're in a culture where lies are, are getting by and, and people are getting by with lying and people are getting by with deception. So it's very hard for you to believe that there's a payday coming. There's a payday coming. You don't want to win. You deal with it now. You deal with it now. And for some of us, what happens is we have areas in our life that we just think we're never going to reap anything from it, and we can continue and continue and continue and continue. And there comes a, there comes a point in life where, you, where all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's reaping time. Uh, you know, I, my kids, my kids were growing up, you know, they used to say, you know, I don't understand, Dad. You know, this kid's always cheating on his homework. He's always getting by. He's always copying other people's stuff and blah, blah, blah. I said, just wait. I said, be patient. Wait. Now, when they go back for high school reunions, they see the difference between the kids who learned how to do work and the kids who skated by. Because they came up against jobs in situations where they couldn't skate by anymore. Because in some cases, they got into the work world and they realized, nobody else is going to do the work for me. If I don't do it, then I'm going to look bad. And here's the point. They never developed the skills to be able to do it, so they don't know how to do it, and they can't do it. Reap what you saw. And I just want to challenge you with this idea, because look, Moses, Moses has had, at this point, Moses had almost 40 years to deal with this. And it's still showing up. It's still showing up. And in this point, it costs him the thing that he had worked for for almost 40 years. And I just want to challenge you with this because I think sometimes we look at our sin and we look at our areas in our lives and we think, you know what, I'm getting by with it so it's not that big a deal. (laughs) Deal with it. Deal with it now before you cross that line with God where it said now it's time for harvest. Now it's time to reap what you've sown. And I just want to challenge you with that, because I think sometimes we forget this. And we start going, well, you know what? God's blessing me, so everything's okay. Mm, Be careful there. Moses hit the rock out of disobedience. Water still came out of the rock. And everybody who was standing there was going, awesome. God's with us. He's provided us water. And Moses is probably thinking the same thing. It wasn't that big a deal, God. I know what he is, because when he makes that argument when they get to go to the promised land, you know, come on, let me go, and God says no. So I want to challenge you as we go into the week. God's blessing requires that we do the right thing the right way at the right time. While our actions may produce results, they only produce God's blessing or approval when we do all three of those things equally. Moses allowed sin to take root and grow. In his life over 40 years without dealing with it. Serve God honestly this week. Deal with the things in your life that you know are not pleasing to God. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we all love to sit here and talk about your love and your grace and your blessing and your goodness and all the good things. but Lord, this is an area of life we don't like to talk about. But Lord, just as you are a loving God, you are also a holy God. You are a righteous God. You are a just God. And Lord, sometimes we forget those things. And Lord, we understand that there's coming a time when everything is going to be made right. We understand, Lord, that in our lives, as we honor you, we see you honor us. And so, Lord, I just ask that we would keep you where we need to keep you at the center of our lives. And Lord, this week, may we be honest with ourselves, deal with what we need to deal with. And Lord, would you give us wisdom that when we're faced with circumstances and situations this week, that we do the right thing, the right way, in the right time. And uh, use us, these things we ask in your name.